We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello and welcome to the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm Gabe Ibrahim, and I'm talking WNBA free agency with Richard Cohen of Her Hoop Stats. And you can find all of his work on herhoopstats.substack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Her Hoop Stats. You should be subscribed to our YouTube channel and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts and our like Twitter names will appear. And you should definitely follow us because we, we've broken some uh, salary news this, this oh, year. Lots of it this year, yeah. Yeah, Rich, Richard's been on a tear. Uh, he's, he's gotten a lot of the, uh, of the salaries out there. And uh, that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today because there's been a lot of interesting contracts given out and trades made so far in WNBA free agency. Today, the big news is that Tina Charles is going to Phoenix. She signed with the Mercury for $108,000. This comes on the heels of Phoenix trading for Diamond Shields and then signing her to a two-year contract starting at $150,000. They also traded Bria Hartley a second round pick this year, the first round pick next year, and the first round pick, the fall, uh, their second round pick in 2023 as well for the rights to Diamond Shields. So they're, I think they're good moves out of context, but I think they're bad moves in context. Do you agree with that? So do you not like the team you're expecting Phoenix to put on the floor this season? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, because it, it's, it's plenty of talent. Like, this team could figure it out. But we're talking about, all right, let's say a starting five. We're going to have Skylar Diggins-Smith, Diana Taurasi, Diamond yep. the Shield slash Brianna Turner. She's not a three. They're going to start the Shield. Okay, so they'll start the Shields. Tina Charles and Brittany Griner. Oh, man. I mean, like, just looking at that lineup, you could easily, in your head, starting lineup, we can get into the ending lineup later, but that's going to be a lineup that you can – attack with pick and rolls all the time and just score so efficiently that I think it's going to be really difficult for them to be a top defense. You know, obviously Brittany Griner can clean up a lot of messes, but she, if they put her out in the pick and roll, it's going to be extremely difficult for this team uh, to defend. 
I don't not like it, but I think just in context, this team is going to struggle with a lot on both sides of the ball. Uh, yeah, uh, they're definitely going to be interesting. Um, I don't think they're necessarily a terrible defensive team. I mean, Charles was uh, certainly reasonable in Washington last year. Oh, wow. albeit the, Sorry, we you just know, got some news. <laughs> this is going to happen plenty of times on this podcast. As we Did you see right. the, ja- the, the Jasmine Jones? Jasmine yeah. Jones just got released, just got cut in New York. Uh, so that just broke. Uh, we'll talk about New York later. And they, oh, and they waived oh. uh, Leon Odom. Odom's gone as well. Yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned the other day, New York didn't have room to do anything without suspending or cutting somebody. So they've obviously decided those are the first two to go. All right. I'll put that down on our sheet to talk about from New York. And again, that's going to happen plenty of times in this podcast, but continue on Phoenix. On Phoenix. So you're saying you don't think they're necessarily a terrible defensive I, team. I think that they have the possibility to be a, an acceptable defensive team, okay. given that, the Shields has always had the tools, and especially if she's healthier this year than she was last year, then who knows? She, I mean, I didn't think Kia Nurse was that great for Phoenix last year, so the Shields could probably do a mm-hmm. reasonable facsimile of what they got from Nurse. Offensively, there's obviously a lot of talent there. If they're healthy and in one piece, then Charles will probably play around the three-point line just as much or even more than she did in Washington to, because the shield still isn't a great three-point shooter, never has been. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be on Charles to be the extra sort of range threat alongside Tarassi and Diggin Smith rather than getting it from the other perimeter player. So, yeah, like I said, they're interesting. I wouldn't say they're perfect, but I do applaud what Jim Pittman's got got done in Phoenix, given that they came into the offseason looking completely hamstrung and it looked like they were going to struggle to do anything. They moved off that Bria Hartley deal and it, it opened up all of this. They've got Charles to take way more than market value. The Shields at a reasonable price. It's a reasonable gamble deal. And yeah, I, they've managed to reshape it for Tarassi's presumably final season in a way that didn't look possible a couple of weeks ago. So I think they're, they're more interesting and better than I was expecting them to be. So well done to Pittman for getting that done. No. Yeah. And they also, we have to apply for the Kia Vaughn trade. I don't understand why someone gave up a third round pick for Kia Vaughn, but getting anything for that was honestly incredible. Um, no, and I agree. Like, yeah, you're right. We should get, we have to give them credit for changing the team without, any sort of at like w- without the assets to do this, he did it. And I think it deserves a ton of credit. And I think, you know, Tina giving up money, um, as you mentioned on Twitter, it could be a problem for the union, but it is, you know, applaudable, I think, from a perspective of a fan. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, it's a big deal because yeah. it's, it's a one, it's if players want to take less than what they could get on the open market, I don't see in, each individual case, I don't see how you can really have a problem with that because they're making the decision for their own their own wallets and their own teams. So, what can you really say? You you make that you make that a possibility with when you decide to have this structure of of team and roster building across the league. No, and and I don't I don't have personally have a problem with it because, like you're saying, everyone had 
the whole point of the CBA is to make your own you know, decisions. If you really want to live in Washington, D.C., for whatever reason, like me, then, yeah, I'd probably take less to live here because I live here. But well, apparently Elizabeth Williams agrees with you as well. Yeah, I didn't read her her Players Tribune article, but she definitely I think she well, I don't know. I don't know where her offers were. Maybe it wasn't that much less. But assuming that Mercedes Russell and Stephanie Dilson got what they yeah. well, assume that was there in theory for or close to it for Williams for Phoenix. I think it's just another year of them swinging for the fences uh, to get a championship. And they got damn close last year. So yeah, I, it almost worked. Yeah. It's, it's a case where it's, um, I think it, you have to understand their motivations. They have a lot more riding on this year than they do in the future, but that future looks tough. It's going to be very tough to rebuild this team anytime soon. So if this is Diane Rossi's last year and Brittany Griner, you know, has always flirted with not playing in the WNBA and she's not going to have a contract after this season, you know, we're looking at a team that doesn't have much in the coffers to rebuild. So they just have to, they've continued doubling down for how many years, how many years have they traded their first round pick? This is their third year. Uh, with a yeah, single selection, I believe. yeah. So they just keep doubling down because they think it's, it's the end of Diane Taurasi and maybe this year it is, but I am growing more and more concerned uh, about this team's future. Cause they just don't have any draft assets in it's, this year's draft or next year's draft but it's kind of what you see with teams like the lakers in the nba yeah. they don't they don't value the, their draft picks much because they say we we're a draw we'll yeah. we'll we'll reload via free agency we'll we'll get someone in and yeah we'll ju- we'll just go hunting and bring in people like the shields and and charles via via the open market so what's what's the point of draft picks yeah. No, and I, I get, well, how's that working out for the Lakers this year? Though? <laughs> oh, yeah, it doesn't always work. But <laughs> I, that was one thing that I liked about the, the three-team trade is all, all three are kind of, or certainly Chicago and, and Phoenix, are gambling on themselves being better than the other teams. Mm-hmm. It's like Phoenix are saying, well, we're going to be good, so we don't care about our pick. Here you have it. Chicago are saying, well, we think we're going to be pretty good and better than Phoenix, so we'd rather have their pick. Mm-hmm. And then Indiana get Chicago's pick because apparently Tamika Catchings wants five different tries to be terrible in the draft. She um, needs to cut three more players from her draft. Yeah, who will all be gone within 18 months. Um, but, but yeah, I, li- I liked that because it's much more interesting when you're, while you're rooting for your own teams to be good, you're also rooting for someone else to be bad. It gives, it gives you a dual interest, and I know this as a as a Miami Dolphins fan from recent years, <laughs> that it, it adds an extra level when you both want your own team to win and someone else to lose on any given weekend. Yes, and we found that out from recent lawsuits as well. Um, <laughs> read the Dolphins. No, I, I, and look, I, I think it totally, like, like I said, it makes, it makes sense for what they're trying to do. Um, but the other thing I don't like about this move is that it takes Brianna Turner off the floor a lot more. Mm. And she, to me, the she's rotations are going to be interesting. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, people are worried about who's going to start, but it's more about who you put on the floor, how the, how the players match up together. And like, like you were saying, are they going to try three big systems where Turner, Charles and Griner are all on the floor together? It, it doesn't seem like a great idea to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if they try it at least occasionally. 
I mean, I think they have to. I think they'll have to because if, if you're trying to get your five best players on the floor, I mean, no offense to Donald Shields. I just think Brianna Turner is better. Um, so if you're trying to get your five best players on the floor, she's part of that five. And I don't think she, it, I don't think it's crazy for her to play small forward sometimes. I, I, I don't think it's in any way a, the best use of her skills, no. though. She, no. she, she's a post defender who can switch out to help if, if she needs to, and that that makes her a better defender in general. But you want her defending fours and fives, not twos and threes. Yeah. No, that's my, that's my big problem with this is like, not only are you putting Turner in a bad position defensively if she plays, you know, the three at all, but you're also, like you mentioned earlier, like Tina Charles is going to be on the perimeter. And while she was, she did more on the perimeter than she has in the past in Washington, it wasn't great. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Tina's going to get the ball and, you know, just hit all her threes. She was still mostly paint bound. So I think you're putting her out of position. You're putting Turner out of position. You're going to affect whatever Griner's doing. I don't think there's any way to affect what Diana Taurasi does in offense. She's just going to do it and everyone else has to deal with it. But I do think there is, it's just a lot of ripple effects for the Shields, Turner, Charles, BG in terms of their roles and I don't, I just don't know. The ultimate question is how much better does this make their championship odds? I'm not sure I'm, I'm at the point where I'm saying this really pushes them into either a new tier of contenders or just like above other teams. One thing it does help cover is for injuries. Yes. Yeah. This team is, has both aging players and players with checkered injury histories. So the more, the more depth you can get where you can give these players a, a night off and still have a decent chance to win or just when they get hurt and inevitably miss a month or something, you're, you're not immediately completely screwed. Then yeah. So that's good. Cause certainly last year they didn't, they didn't have a lot of cover. And so, yeah, they've got a bit more now because someone on this team is going to get hurt and we've got a really compact season this year mm-hmm. as well. So you, you, you'd probably be giving Tarassi days off even if she doesn't get actually injured. You'd want her to take, you know, when you're playing three games in four days or four games in a week, you don't want to use her in all of them. Yeah. So, but are you going to give BG rest? I feel like BG doesn't really do rest. I mean, but it's the coach's job to tell the players to take right. rest, whether, whether they want to or not. Sometimes you, you've got to do the stuff that's that's good for them, whether they like it. Or not. Oh, and also, we just got the corresponding New York move. So they re-signed Becca Allen to a multi-year deal. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the numbers on that. so Neither do I yet. We'll try to find that out probably after this podcast. So it's hard to talk and text at the same time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think I'm, I'm, just a little, I'm just a little worried because I, I don't, I don't want to see Turner sidelined on this team. I think she's really, really good. And she was a big reason why they got to the finals last year. And I really love just like dominant BG. Like she was just so good last season. I think this takes a little bit away from what she does, but it also takes away, like you're saying, from what she has to do. So there maybe is an uh, an upside that they're more fresh uh, in the postseason. Did they, I don't remember how many games they played in last year's regular season. They played most 30, of them. 32, I think. In the, oh, you mean how many? Yeah, those those players. Uh, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Skylar played 32. Turner played 32. 
Griner played 30 and Tarasi played 17. Yeah, yeah, it was DT that actually was out for a while. So then in the D, if DT is out or resting, and we can move, we can move on from Phoenix a little bit. If DT is out or resting, then are we running? Are you do you think they should run with that like three big lineup with with the Shields at the two, Turner at the three, Charles at the four, BG at the five? I mean, like I said, I wouldn't, but I, I fully expect them to try it occasionally, but I don't think we'll see it much. I think they'll be, you know, it would be a, a Shea Petty, a Sophie Cunningham, and and whoever else they might still be looking to add because Charles signed so cheap that there, there is some space left there beyond just minimum deals to, to add someone else. Yeah, and we got, so uh, we have Phoenix at $216,000 in cap space, like $600 more than that. And then their maximum bid for another player would be $95,681. I guess they could get, well, they can't really get off anyone. There's no one to get off unless they. And there's the the Kia Nurse mess as well, which who knows what's going to happen there. Do you think Tina's, Tina's number is to accommodate keeping Nurse on the roster? I, I'm not sure. I mean, the thing is that it's a very specific number. It's not like she signed for something round, like 100 mm-hmm. or 110. So you wonder if there's already something else specific planned. Because they, they obviously signed the Shields, made that move, knowing what Tina was going to be willing to take. I feel like all these moves were made in concert. You don't, you don't make the De Shields trade and then go to Tina. Hey, how would you feel about 108,000? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, Odyssey Sims is already agreed to take 80000 or some, something like that to, uh, to, to fill out the rest of the roster. Why, but, not, why not replace one former New York Liberty wing with another for, former New York Liberty wing in Leon Odom? She just got released. Well, yeah, or Jazz Jones. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, someone like that. Yeah, sure. That, I mean, that just deepens you your options at the very least and with cheap players likely as well although you wouldn't be totally surprised if jones or odom got got claimed on waivers they might not clear yeah i wonder who well we'd have to do a lot more uh, well i have actually no, i have all the cap space i'm one cheap now let's see who has space for that uh it seems like pretty much everyone could have space for that yeah i mean they're, they're both still on rookie scale deals so they're pretty cheap well, maybe Indiana could, except I don't know how much they signed Emma Cannon for uh, right before it got on. They could have they could have signed Emma Cannon for uh, the, the max. Who knows? Yes, yes, they could. <laughs> Let's hope not for the sake of every Indiana fan's heart and brain and general well-being. Um, do you want to – is there anything more on Phoenix that we should get to? I, I think we've covered the Mercury in enough depth at this point. Yeah, for uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll we'll cover the mercury plenty uh, during the season, I'm sure. I Whether imagine it's good or bad. so. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad. Uh, speaking of another team, we're going to cover throughout the season. Let's talk about their finals opponents, Chicago Sky. Uh, I'll read out their moves and then give you their stats on cap space for the moment. Although Lord knows that could change at any moment. Um, so what they've done, unofficially, they've signed Emma Misaman and Crystal Bradford. Those are reported, not official yet. Uh, they've also reportedly re-signed Cleo Copper. Again, that's not official yet, right? I didn't miss that. Yep. Okay. 
Uh, they also lost Steph Dolson to New York. That one's official. And then they did the trade where they sent out Diamonds Rights. Their 2022 first or 2023 first received a 2023 first from Phoenix and Julie Alamond. And that brings us to them having $847,000 in cap space and they can bid up to the Supermax. Obviously, though, know, what's going in over all of this is that Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley remain unsigned. Uh, they're reporting from Holly Rowe on the free agency special that Courtney, Courtney Vandersloot is considering a deal from ECAT to not come over to the WNBA this year, similar to what happened with Diane Rossi. I gave my thoughts and feelings on that on the, the courtside podcast last on Wednesday. Um, so, Richard, what do you think of uh, what's going on in Chicago? Well, as long as they eventually work it out, I'm I'm fine with it. You know, I, I've always liked Alamond. I was a fan of hers and talking her up before she ever played in the WNBA. So once she got there and, and proved what she was worth in the one season in Indiana, that I mean, that's that's a nice pickup. Exactly when we'll see her. You know, James Wade is claiming that she's going to be there in 2022, mm-hmm. even if she's late. But she's going to, definitely going to miss the whole of camp and could easily miss a month of the season because she plays for one of the best teams in France and their playoffs don't end until early June. So, and then, you know, even if she flies over immediately, you then have to get used to the team and everything else. So it might be a while before she's a, a useful central piece in Chicago. So you hope that she's just the backup because if they're hoping she's going to be their starting point guard, it's, it's going to be a while. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by the whole thing. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that what the hell can he have offered that can possibly have been considered wildly disrespectful? How low do you go before just thinking it's laughable to even offer it? I, I don't understand how you end up in a situation where you know exactly how much money you've got for four players. It's, you know, you know the number that you have for Miesemann, Copper, Quigley, and Vandersloot in total. I don't ha- understand how you get to that stage without having already talked to Vandersloot and Quigley and said, are you willing to take a combined $350,000 between the two of you or something like that? You surely talk to them first. It doesn't make sense that you get to this stage without it all being under control and, and discussed. I, I don't get it. Uh, I think it's because someone's trying to lie to us. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't see how there could be a wildly disrespectful offer. I could see her saying, hey, I got lowballed, and it is wildly disrespectful that I did not get offered the extra 28 grand for my services this year. For example, if that's what it is, I have no idea. But I do think it has, I, I think she, I don't know. Cause we talked, so we talked about the prioritization thing on the courtside podcast. And then I talked to you about it on Slack. And you're saying that the Russian season ends substantially early enough that it would not be a problem if Courtney wants to play with ECAT and play in the WNBA, right? That's, that's your understanding it, of? Yeah, I don't think the Russian season is scheduled to finish any later this year than it was last year. And it was done by April 27th last year which is, you know, she might miss a few days of camp, which in 2023 would be a fine, mm-hmm. but Ekaterinburg will be paying her a fortune. So 
missing a few days of WNBA camp and maybe getting fined a little bit for that would not be a big deal in comparison to how much you'd be getting paid by UMMC. Um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, like I said, I, it, I don't get it because I don't, someone must have fed that line to Holly Rowe. You presume it's coming from Vandersloot or Vandersloot's camp. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's the purpose of that? To, to, to give because if they've explained if Wade's explained it to Vandersloot and Quigley explained the situation yeah. and they've agreed to it then what's the purpose of saying I've been lowballed or I've been given a disrespectful offer I don't I don't what are you trying to gain from that well and the other thing is if it, if it was a disrespectful offer you could go to another team and and stick um, it, it if you want to stick it yeah. to James Wade that way that's the way you do it so I, that's what I'm saying like it has to be a leverage play for I think something more than money, and that, that's what I was theorizing about the prioritization rule about using this leverage now to I don't I don't know I don't know exactly what she could get from you know maybe it's maybe it's you know Chicago the, the Chicago organization bring this up to the league and pushing the league to to make changes to this rule. I know Courtney Vandersloot is represented by the same agent that represents uh, Brittany Griner and Brian Stewart and Jewel Lloyd. Um, and, you know, she's been pulling, it's Lindsay Cagola-Colas from Wasserman, right? Yeah, she's Wasserman. Yeah. Um, and she's pulling a lot of the strings this offseason. So I think this may have been a leverage play not only for Vandersloot, but for a lot of different players and pushing the narrative that prioritization is bad because it's taking away part of our revenue stream. Potentially. I don't know. I don't know if, like, the Russian League, for example, I was told when when the whole prioritization rule came into effect mm. at the CBA, like, by some people who, who work in European basketball that, you know – it's going to be a problem. It's going to, it's going to be a, a stare down between the European leagues and the American and the WNBA. Um, so maybe there's something that the Russian league is saying, Hey, like you, you we're going to put in an, a requirement, the same that the WNBA has. So if you want to play here, you can't play there. So mm. it could be, it could be something like that. I don't know that yet. That's just stuff I heard, you know, a year ago or two years ago at this point. Um, so I, I do think it has to do something with that though. Cause I'm, t- I'm with you. Like, I don't see another logical explanation because the money is extremely clear. Like you knew the money coming in. So there's no way he could have low unless he, I, and I can't imagine James Wade is that bad of a GM that he didn't do that. Right. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, it, huh. it doesn't make a lot of sense. So that is one explanation for this situation that doesn't make sense is that Wade screwed up. Yeah. But, but yes, I agree with you. You wouldn't think a GM, you would think a GM would do the maths and talk to Vandersloot and Quigley before you even agree to Emma Meesman. If Vandersloot says, I'm not signing for anything other than the Supermax, that's just her position from the start. Then that's the first thing you take into the equation because yeah. you don't give up Vandersloot to then re-sign copper and go and get Miesemann because then you're turning your franchise over to Dana Evans at the point, or you're hoping you can get Alan Mond and hoping she shows up and that she fits in for most of the season. Vandersloot has to be one of their top priorities. You would have thought from the very start of this whole process. Well, and they would accord Vandersloot too. I think, well, I think probably. So I don't know. It, it's probably more smoke and mirrors. Um, and it may be about something that has nothing to do with the contract situation. Um, or maybe it does. Um, but it has been reported by Christina Williams, 
that uh, Vandersloot and Quigley are likely to, or, or that I think it was very likely to return. Um, I don't, I mean, it's not a done yeah, deal, certainly. Yeah, people that get these things right on most occasions have said they think that they're going to be coming back. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just to go back to what you were saying a minute ago, the, the prioritization rules are, are in the CBA. It's all in, mm -hmm. in black and white at this point. So it's not like Chicago could add a clause into Van der Sloot's contract saying, yeah, that doesn't apply to you, Sharp, whenever you like. It's, it's liter literally the rule says the WNBA can fine you or suspend mm -hmm. you if, if you don't show up at time X. It's not going to be down to the team to enforce that rule. The league can do it based on when you show up. Yeah, and I think, I think that's why it's kind of been this public pressure to get Chicago and or James Wade and or whoever has the most power with the league in that situation to say, hey, you guys need to do something about this. We need to come together and, and strike a, an, an amendment, at least a small one. I mean, to, then they, they, they shouldn't, shouldn't have signed the CBA in the first place. I mean, I remember NECA like refer, yeah. talking about these rules specifically when they were yeah. announcing the new CBA. They, they talked about how it was part of the negotiations and part of agreeing the new deal and encouraging players to prioritize as the rule is named mm -hmm. prioritize the WNBA over overseas contracts of course NECA and people like Sue Bird in the in the uh, WNBPA's sort of hierarchy don't go overseas anymore so maybe they were they were making some rules that they thought were, were going to help them out and not necessarily help out their uh the whole of their player base. I think it was a hopeful, it was an aspirational goal to say, hey, we're going to yeah. work with the European leagues to make our season longer. And then we're not as, like we can, we can compete without being in competition for the, the players, right? So I think that was the aspirational goal, at least on the WNBA side. But yeah, I agree. It's like, you look at the players who were most involved in, in negotiating and most of them don't go overseas, don't have that huge, a huge revenue stream that it could potentially be cut off in two in two years, and the the working relationship between FIBA and the WNBA has never exactly been simpatico. They 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 don't they 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 just do what they like, and hopefully the the whole thing fits together at some point. Basically, yeah. I mean, I think we're heading towards a time, maybe after the CBA, where they're going to be in direct competition at some point, right? At some point, we're going to have to put. We have to make the WNBA season longer. We're going to have to actually have a, a full, a, a much longer season if you want to continue the growth that the league has seen. So eventually they will be in direct competition for the players. So, um, so yeah. You, you, you feel like that's part of, part of the aim is that, yeah, when you're trying to pay people more, you're trying to ultimately pay them enough that they don't want to play anywhere else as well. Personally, I don't want to make the – the season an awful lot longer. I would spread it out a little more. American sports play far too many regular season games, just in general. <laughs> you, I'm, and, and they don't even matter. Over here, we, we have a season and the team that does best in the season wins the league. In the US, you play a regular season and it's basically the preseason because then you have the playoffs, which are the stuff that actually matter at the end. No one remembers that Chicago went 500 last year. No one gives a damn because they won the title. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to change the entire American sporting industry. Oh, neither do I. I'm just making my, my usual argument 
old man shouting at cloud yeah i do like the playoffs but yeah it de- it definitely i don't think we need 82 games but i like like oh God, I don't no. Know. no yeah we don't need 82 games maybe like a 42 game season in actual basketball season that's all i'm asking for like let's start in january and go until oh, april you want you want to play in the winter okay i like playing in the winter yeah i yeah that's you're probably going to have to break off from the nba in order to to end up with that schedule so that that might be quite a long way off but we'll see yeah that's and the, so i mean the, the, i think just like that is the idea in the future is like we will have to compete with them directly at some point if we want if we want this league to continue growing and, and be where everyone talks about where, where it has to be they'll compete so i don't know i think i think you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place for the WNBA because you can either say because the owners now are going to have to give some, they're going to have to get something in return for if they change the prioritization rule, whatever it is, they're going to have to get something in return because that's how collective bargaining works. You're not just going to take a loss. But then it, it's like, well, how, how are you going to balance this out and also make everyone happy? Because if you don't change the rule, you're going to lose a lot of players. But if you do change the rule, you're going to kind of, you know, kneecap that growth that we're talking about to a certain extent. But that's, uh, that's that's for a different that may be for a future thing and we'll see what happens we'll see what and just just to be just to be clear to everybody the prioritization rules in the cba do not kick in until 2023 so there are no fines and no suspensions coming on that basis this season and the big suspension comes in 2024 right yeah they get yeah they're sort of phased in a little bit in 2023 and then the whole thing comes in 2024 and that won't affect younger players because they're on the rookie scale contract um anyone Anyone zero, one or two years of experience can do what they like. The rules don't apply in the prioritization rules. Um, so we talked about them for 14 minutes and really haven't talked about them on the court. Chicago <laughs> Sky. Well, uh, I think- because, because none of them have signed. So we, we have no solidity about who's actually going to be on the team. If we assume everyone is back on the team. Yeah. Uh, this is a damn good team. I mean, I, I think they were a damn good team last year. Obviously, they won the title. It's not a controversial statement. But... Are we? Do you think Emma is a really big upgrade over Steph Dolson? Do you think the combination of Bradford and Alamond are a really big upgrade over the Shields? Yeah, I mean, as with Alamond, I'm a big fan of Misabin. Um, I think she's a more skilled offensive player than Dolson. She's a different kind of player in that more of a four than a five, more of an offensive threat from sort of mid-range and in deep in the post. But Dolson gave them a really big body who played the five and, and helped out. I, I think it's an upgrade, but it's mm-hmm. a change as well. Um, I, I, I enjoyed Bradford. I wrote about Bradford several times during the course of last season. I think that's, that's, that's a fun pickup. And obviously the only reason she was available was because of the, the mess that happened in, in Atlanta with that whole, the whole fight and them letting her go. So yeah, that that should be more depth for them. Again, might not be dirt cheap in that, and that might cut into their space as well if she's not going to take the minimum because that then cuts another. What if she takes seventy five, something like that, eighty? Yeah. Then that that cuts another fifteen, twenty thousand off that total that we were talking about for the four players. They've still got to work out. Um, but yeah, I, assuming all of those players come back, it's once again a team that's capable of beating anyone on their day, but 
shaky maybe that they can break down on occasion and things yeah. might not work this because like i said there were 500 team last season and you know candace parker has been known to pick up injuries and miss miss a bunch of games as ray stevens misses games quigley's getting old um vandersloot's getting old vandersloot's getting older yeah so you wonder whether they might have injury and depth issues, but yeah, there's a lot of talent there. They, as with Phoenix, they're going to be fun to watch and a threat in the playoffs. Yeah, and um, I think they're yeah. they're a team that's uh, they're about the playoffs. They I don't think they care, I don't think they care about the regular season. Like we might see a lot of Ruby Hubert in the regular season. I'd support that. She's actually I was pretty impressed with her last year. Um, but I think we're I I think uh, it's. It's a difference, though. You're right. Like, I think Emma and Steph, um, a lot of people see a big white center and think, you know, they're the same player. But I think they're very different in the ways they defend and in the ways they play offense. So I think it's going to be a lot of um, – there's going to be a lot of adjustments in the regular season. But for them, you know, I think they will be – they'll be just fine in the regular season. And then we'll see them, we'll see them in the playoffs and we'll see if they can recapture that magic um, from last season. But, man – it's a good deal if you can get what three finals MVPs on the on the team. Yeah, yeah. Really four because Courtney Vandersloot should have been the finals MVP last year, but 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 then Copper wouldn't have been. So I know, but back, just in then mind. you're back down to three. But I, I know, but we're we're trying to get people excited. We're trying to get people excited on the podcast. Okay. Yes, but but we 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 know my role is generally to to stop people being excited, and it, it's I yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I, that's why it works well on the show. Uh, all right, so that's Chicago. Anything else in Chicago? Uh, sort it out, James. Yeah, Get man. it done. Yeah, it's really annoying that we had to come on this podcast on Friday. We left it until Friday so that we, we could talk about more things. Hopefully this Vandersloot thing was done. And it's not. So, James, throw us a bone here. We need more content. Um, I, let's move over to New York, though, because we did. I just got numbers from Jackie Powell, who reported it uh, that Rebecca Allen is getting 141,000 this year, 136,000 next year, 136,850 in 2023. Uh, has there has there been another descending contract given out? Not not this off season. That that's the first one this off season. Not a surprise that that comes from Jonathan Kolb, who used to work in the league office so therefore knows how all of these things work and knows how to work the system so he yeah. wrote the rules so one would hope he, yeah he said he, he wrote some of them and implemented some of them over the years so yeah he should he should know how it all goes it does feel sometimes like there are gms around the WNBA who don't really know what's going on half the time he is one who you would think should should know what he's doing yeah, no, I, I think he did well to do that. And I think that's to keep space open in their pursuit of uh, Brianna Stewart yet again next year. Um, you know, we, we both talked about Seattle having the issue now that Jewel Lloyd is cored and she will be cored next season. So they will not have a court designation available for Brianna Stewart unless they trade Jewel Lloyd, which seems unlikely. So Stewie's going to be a free agent. She's already met with New York. Seems like they're going to try to go after her next year. At least I would presume that's why that contract is ascending. Um, well, they've, I mean, also do, got, they've also got Whitcomb coming off the books at the end of this season, which will open up some space. Yeah. And, I, and 
we'll see. I don't know who's uh, I haven't looked at next year's free agency class yet, other than Brianna Stewart, obviously. Um, but I mean, I think there, there could be other people, and one would assume that if Stewie's coming, she may want Sammy Wickham around. So potentially that's that's more space just to just to fit in people. But we talked about this in the mock-off season podcast about how how much flexibility New York has in terms of keeping their young players while also chasing these bigger names. And they pick up Steph Dolson for $160,000 each year. Um, and they re-sign Rebecca Allen. Do you think this, like, do you think Dolson really changes their trajectory next year? I mean, the, the primary thing that she does is change likely that sort of how they're playing because mm-hmm. They tried to play so small and so fast under Walt Hopkins that Howard was a three was was a five, and then your four was whoever the whoever happened yeah. to be the tallest of the various wings they had on the floor, and and then you worked from there. Assuming they're signing Dol, I mean they've given Dolson a significant amount of money, so you you think she may be the starting five and Howard the four which would make them a far more traditional lineup. Um, and then you, then you become a, a, more, a more typical team that can play fast, but that doesn't have to play fast and doesn't have to be so unusual in its approach. They're, I mean, if they're really going to take a step forward, it's going to be dependent on them being healthy and Sabrina Ionescu being the superstar that we thought she could be when she was coming out of college. You don't generally get good to great teams in the WNBA without at least one superstar being on your roster. And right now, Benigia Laney and Natasha Howard are good. They're both, you, you might even put them in the star category, but you don't, you don't, wouldn't put them in the superstar category. Yeah. You, you wouldn't put them in the elite. That yeah. Top, that, that, that top, top tier where, and Ionescu looks like the the one that would have to get there and that would take them there. So I, I think I saw, I forget who it was, but someone wrote an article basically titled The Liberty Are Going As Far As Sabrina Can mm-hmm. Take Them. And I tend to agree that that's, that's your, main, your main point of growth is how, how healthy she's going to be and how good she's going to be. Yeah, I think that's that's right on the money. I mean, it, it is on all on Sabrina, and she had her, you know, obviously first year completely gone to injury. Last year, she did have injury problems coming into season, but even when she was healthy, you know, just didn't it didn't feel like she she really had that sort of star grasp on the game, and she made big plays. I think she was like really a good point guard in this league. I don't think that's a that's like a controversial statement. I think she was good. But she does. She does need to be the superstar, um, unless they bring, unless they brought in Brianna Stewart this year, or if they bring in Brianna Stewart next year, that solves all the problems. But for now, she definitely has to be the one that takes a step up. Um, and also, did you see that Benajah Lane was playing on a tour in meniscus last year? That she had. Did she have surgery just after the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's gonna be ready for camp, but she was playing on a on a tour in meniscus last year, well, which. I mean, you you could see during the season that if you looked at her split, she got worse month after month, month on month after mm-hmm. sort of people were talking about her as an MVP candidate at the start of the year. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there was an injury underlying injury there that left her sort of wearing down. Yeah, but I, I do like 
I like the team in terms of the, the roster construction. I think it's going to be a nice sort of blank slate for uh, Sandy Brondello. And I don't think she's going to be so stringent on what she wants to do that. I think she'll, she'll work something around uh, these players and, and, and the talent's really good. And I think I see a, there's a playoff team here, but really to be, to get to that next level, you need Sabrina Eskew to be a superstar. And even to get into the playoffs, I think you're going to need some of these, like Jocelyn Willoughby's Willoughby going to have to be a player. Michaela Unaway is going to have to continue growing. Dee Dee Richards is going to have to be a big part of this team. I, I think they're good. I think they're better. I, I think they do need to take, like now is time, start starting to be the time where we need to see some return on the investment that the team has made in these young players, and especially Sabrina, for me. It, I mean, it does feel like they, they're still not sure what they've got in these young players. We just, mm-hmm. like we said at the start of the podcast, they've just waved two of them and given up on a couple. But, I mean, Willoughby obviously missed last season injured, so they don't know what they've got there. Onyenwere was playing half of last year out of position, even while winning Rookie yeah. of the Year. Can, can Richards actually shoot? Or were those, like, because she had a couple last year? And if... if if that was just a, a flash in the pan, then can she be a productive WNBA player while having limited offense? I mean, we've, there's still other unknowns as well. You don't know what you're getting from Asia Durr, if, if anything at all. That She uh-huh. obviously was supposed to be a building block for them before the whole horrible COVID issues. You don't know whether she's going to be on the roster. You don't know. You might get a good player, you might get absolutely nothing. We don't know whether Maureen Johannes is going to sign and show up. That's what I want to talk about. Because that, I think that changes things for me. Does it change, would it change things for you if she came over? Maybe. I'd love to see it. I mean, we're, I know we're, bo- we're both big fans of her. She's, she's a hell of a player. But we've seen her for very limited minutes in the WNBA. And international players have a history of struggling to adapt to WNBA basketball when They've only got very limited time to, to sort of to accept and understand mm-hmm. the differences between the leagues and the differences between the game. And again, she's playing in France. Yeah. So you've got the same issues we talked about with Alabon um, in terms of getting into camp or showing up for the first month of the season. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Don't think she'd show up to camp just because of that French season. But I, getting her here is just another player who can kind of light it up. I, I don't, it, Sammy Wickham can light it up. Najelena can light it up, but I just want any more of that talent just in case those two have an off night. Yeah. Cause when those two had off nights last season and the times where Natasha Howard wasn't around, this team was terrible. Yeah. Like really, they, they could reach really low depths. So I need yeah. someone to raise their, that floor a little bit. Yeah. You, you add, you add more people who can break out on any given night, then you, you, you give them give yourself a, other options. Just, yeah, it's definitely a good idea. I would, right. love to see, I would love to see her. She is a very entertaining basketball player. Oh, yeah. From a content perspective, this is, that would be an amazing ad. Just for all of us, we would have so many insane highlights. She also throws some, like, really bad passes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well it's going to mesh with Sandy Brandella. But right, she does. She throws some terrible passes. She she throws some great passes as well. This is the thing. She's one of those players who's who sees the pass and is willing to risk the turnover to make the great pass. So she, yeah, 
I feel like I don't know. I don't know enough about soccer really to make this comparison, but I feel like she's kind of she's kind of a soccer player in that way. It's like she has the the brilliant idea. Whether she can execute it or not is is immaterial. She's gonna do the idea that she has in her mind. Mm. The problem uh, is you ha- you have to see it and then make it while it's still there. The problem <laughs> is if you if you see it and then your brain has to take a second or two to process it and think about whether you should be throwing it and then you throw it, the hole's gone and you can't make that pass anymore. So. Yeah, you have to do it instantly. But that's part of what makes her fun yeah. is the, the whole risk reward. I don't think she's ever thought, should I try this pass? In just no. wa- in, in watching her minutes, like she's never thought that. No, the, because <laughs> the ball's already gone from her hand before she's, she's thought about it. And honestly, that could be, it would be nice to get her around Sabrina because I feel like Sabrina actually does need that a little bit. Like she may, she may be thinking a little too much. Um, so I kind of, I kind of like, I'd like to see it. Um, that's all I got in New York. Anything else in New York? No, I think, I think we're good. I mean, I think, I think maybe they wanted to do a little more in free agency than we've seen so far. So, but, but that was, was what they had possible in the end. Well, I'm getting a meeting with Brianna Stewart and I, no one has reported another meeting with Brianna Stewart. No, but I mean, there were also reports that Jewel Lloyd spoke to them as well. So, so yeah, they, they were trying, as you do. I mean, and like we said, that people keep referring, and I did it as well, to the, the Chelsea Gray thing where mm-hmm. Vegas talked to her when she was a free agent and she went back to L.A. for another year and then they got her 12 months later. So you set the groundwork. And in terms of the front office, you hope you're still in a job at that <laughs> point and, and then can sign her at that at some later point, even if you don't get her when you're talking to them the first time. No, I think I think they're pretty safe unless they go like, I don't know, two and 20 again, uh, then that could be an issue. But I think they're, they'll be pretty safe just because of the idea that Brianna Stewart can come. Because if you have a shot to get Brianna Stewart, like don't change anything, just wait. If you don't get her, then you have to, then you have to change points. But, but I, don't, I mean, they, they could fire Jonathan Kolb and hire Marta Jagai as the, as the new GM. <laughs> That, that that might help bring in Brianna Stewart. Uh, that's that's Brianna Stewart's wife for everyone that may not know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, well, then you go then you go down like that, and that'd be tough for for the New York front office. But yeah, we'll I we'll see what happens next year. I think they're more interesting next year than they are this year. Okay, we're we're going long, and that's fine. Everyone's can hang out. You guys, you know, watch as much as podcast as you want. I mean, uh, do you want to talk about uh, Seattle? interesting team championship caliber yada yada do we want to talk about los angeles plenty of intrigue there or do we want to talk about the team that potentially made the single best move in all of free agency the indiana fever (laughs) i wonder where you were going there Uh, okay i mean i mean sell me on how india the indiana fever made the best move of free agency okay i was being more tongue-in-cheek but they made a good I think they made a good trade and relative to expectations with Indiana, that is arguably the best move in free agency. If we're, if we're doing it relative to expectations, I would say the trade that Indiana made to acquire, I don't even know if we could say acquire Bria Hartley. They got Bria Hartley. They also got a first round pick this year, a second round pick this year, a first round pick this year, uh, next year, and a second round pick next year for Julie Alamond and cap space. Obviously I went to Phoenix. I love it. I mean, that's exactly what they should be doing. I think that's why I love this move so much is that they should be collecting assets and, and using their cap space in that way rather than signing 
John Tell Lavender to a $175,000 contract for three years, right? Now, I do want to mention, though, like, right before we got on this podcast, there was a press release that said that the Indiana Fabry had signed Emma Cannon. I'm extremely anxious to see the numbers on that, but assuming it's not something crazy, I like this as a use of cap space. I like it as an asset play. I think they have three first-round picks this year. At some point, a blind squirrel has to find the nut and keep it. And hopefully that is this year for Indiana and they will find a draft pick and they will keep them. And that draft pick will at least stay for their rookie contract. So I, that's what I got. I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> and in a vacuum, I can see the, the positives to that trade. Absolutely. I'm not sure that, that Alamond wanted to be in Indiana anymore. And obviously with international players, you're always working on the, the problem of they may not show up if they don't want to be in that particular city. So they only become an asset if they're willing to play wherever they, wherever you have them or wherever you send them. So that may have been part of the push to, to send her to Chicago, where there obviously are, is now a whole Belgian contingent. My, the, I worry that they're falling into the same hole that we've seen in Dallas in, in recent years, where they already have young players on the roster. They, they already cut Gondrasic mm-hmm. again. I mean, they've still got Wilson and they've got reserve qualifying offers out to people like Bernadette Hattar and that Chelsea Perry on a training camp contract. They've got young players on the roster already. And there's only so many roster spots in this league. You, you don't have these two-way contracts that the NBA have to send people to the G League or, or anything like that. So having five picks in the next two drafts, how many of those players are they even going to be able to keep? And as you said, how many are going to stick? Because unless you can package them and turn this like three picks into one player or trade a couple of pieces as well as a pick to then turn into one, unless you can make a consolidation trade, the kind of move that Dallas hasn't been able to make for the last three years, however much they've wanted to, then all of the assets depreciate and because it all becomes just a mess that you can't use or you just you trade people and then you end up cutting them whether they wanted to or not because there's no room. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, that there's positives here and Bria Hartley's not a terrible player, you know, and they actually didn't just wave her immediately like they did with Odyssey Sims last year when they made a similar move to swallow someone into their own cap space. So, yeah, I, I, I said, like you said, I like it a lot more than wasting your cap space on, on veterans like they did last year. At least, at least this has potential positives rather than looking terrible from the moment they did it. Yeah, no, I, I just like, I, you know, they need, the, they need picks. They really do because if you're releasing them after two years for all of them, then yeah, you, you're going to just need, all you need is one. All you need is one really great draft pick and but i mean i mean the mo- that, that's most likely to be the number two pick that they've already got this year that that is going to be hard to screw up according to <laughs> to most prognosticators i i don't watch enough college basketball to, to to have a view on this but from what i'm told this is at the very least a two-player draft some people think it's a three-player draft but if you take one of those consensus people hopefully they don't suck Yes. Uh, well, I think, I, and we're talking about Melissa Smith, Ryan Howard, 
Shakira Austin. I probably expect Brian Howard to go to uh, Washington with number one, but you know, yes, that would be what the logic tells you. However, I mean, coming into the well, 2019 draft, the Lauren Cox draft. 2020, yeah. Yeah, Lauren Cox was like the consensus number three yeah. pick up this, and down this, the board. This is why I, I don't criticize catchings much for that pick. Yeah. No. Went where everyone thought she was going to go. And and honestly, I don't know what happened with Gondrasek. Well, she wasn't that good to start with. But then, like, she just kind of disappeared on them. So I, I feel bad for them in that regard, too. But with the Lauren Cox thing, that was the consensus pick. So if they draft Melissa Smith as a consensus pick, we still have, <laughs> based on recent history, yeah. a large likelihood of it not working out. So I just think getting the lotto tickets, though, for me is really important. And then you figure it out later. I, the only thing that I really dislike is that we they still have Lavender and Robinson on the books through this year and next year. Those are really the only two moves on this roster, affecting this roster right now that I really, really have problems with because Tierra McCallum is going to be restricted free agent after this year. Yep. And I mean, I don't personally know where you're going with the Kelsey Mitchell, Tierra McCowan core, but they certainly seem to like it. So unless you're planning to kind of lose McCowan, which maybe you should explore trades this year, if you're planning on that. Now um, they're, they're, they're kind of hamstrung for next year and they will have to release some of those draft picks. So I, I just like it though. I like the, the asset play. I like collecting picks and figuring it out later. Yeah. Uh, no one wanted to come to Indiana in free agency, then this is one of the best things you can do instead. Basically you, you try to use the space in creative ways and yeah, I I'm just, I'm just not totally convinced that it's going to work out well in future anyway, but it does give them possibilities at, at the very least. And I mean, yeah, I, I was the, the, the Indiana GM in our, in our yeah. mock, mock off season. And I, I did look into, what are your offers for McCowan from various places? I'd never got anything that felt worth exploring from our other GMs around the league. But yeah, if, if you don't think she's your future, then I would agree that now or during the upcoming season is probably when you want to be looking at trading her rather than letting her go into restricted free agency and then either having to match a deal or find some kind of sign and trade. All right, that's uh, that's enough on the Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the last time Indiana is brought up uh, for, the, for the remainder of the off season. Um, okay, let's uh, let's go to Los Angeles. I mean, unless we have something really pressing to say about Seattle, I feel like we we said both in, in various uh, outlets that what we want to say about Seattle. Um, basically, Mercedes Russell is a bit of an overpay. Oh, we haven't talked about the Gabby Williams deal. That, yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go to the Gabby Williams deal. I mean, uh, I figured we'd, we'd get to that within LA, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk. Actually, we'll do them both. We'll, we'll put them together. I'm sure both fans of those franchises will be happy about it. Uh, so they, the Seattle Storm acquired Gabby Williams for Katie Lou Samuelson and the number eight pick in the 2022 draft. Um, Nine, I think, wasn't it? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I, I will double check that right now. But um, just like initial thoughts about the the asset play here from Seattle. I think it's a pretty good use of assets, to be honest. I was a little surprised Gabby Williams was worth that much. Mm-hmm. Um, however well she plays for Sopron in, in Europe, 
she spent four years in Chicago promising more than she actually delivered, as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. um, so I was surprised that she got Kaylee Samuelson and a first round pick in order to, to acquire her, especially considering she's paid twice as much as Kaylee Samuelson. So you were, as part of this deal, you're creating over $70,000 of cap space for LA. So LA were basically getting three things out of this. They got the pick, they got Samuelson, and they got cap space for one thing going the other way in Williams. So you have to think Williams is a lot better than Samuelson to make this deal, I think. And they, they, they seem convinced that Samuelson was actually going to fit in quite well last year. It doesn't, that doesn't seem very far off to me. Yeah, shouts to her European production as well. That's what... <laughs> well, yeah. That's what fetched uh, Dallas number one pick, which honestly at this point looks like a, it was more, it was worse in theory, that trade uh, for the number one pick for Katie Lee Samuelson. Um, I, I do think Gabby Williams is substantially better than uh, Katie Lou. Um, I also think getting Stephanie Talbot kind of makes Katie Lou more, more or less redundant. Uh, so they probably knew that they were going to bring her back. Um, and I think that, the real, the real comparison, though, is like how much better is Gabby Williams than Jordan Canada? Because they're going to lose Jordan Canada in restricted free agency now. And I think Gabby's going to have to fill in that role of, you know, kind of, I guess she's not really your backup one, but she's, she's going to be your backup guard, whatever, in kind of the same role that um, Jordan Canada was in. And I'd rather have Gabby Williams there than Jordan Canada. And I do think they're just going all in this season because obviously this could be the last season of their entire ride. So I, I do it just because of that pressure. Um, and that's why I like the move is like considering the pressure that they had on them to get better this season. I think it was a pretty good use of assets, especially with the number nine pick that was probably not going to be on your roster this upcoming season, I would guess, unless you cut like Kiki Herbert Harrigan, um, maybe something like that. But I don't, I don't think that number nine pick was going to factor into their season this year. So I think it's a pretty good, pretty good use of assets to get someone who's really going to help you, or at least in the theory of her should help you a lot more than the theory of Katie Lusanne. Maybe, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm yet to be convinced just generally by Gabby Williams. I, maybe it's partly again, because I don't watch a lot of college basketball that I don't have yeah. the grounding in how good Williams was at UConn that a lot of people do. But there was there were just these occasional flashes at Chicago where you thought, oh, is she working it out? Because then she becomes a hell of an asset. And then they would always just be a flash. Mm -hmm. And obviously also now she's French, which means are you going to actually see her every year? Is she going to show up every time? Um, it's, I mean, she's only on a one-year contract, so maybe you're not worrying too much about the future. I. And I think she's going to start at the three more than being considered your backup. They've obviously, they've signed Brian January. They've still got Epiphany Prince for now, although no. we've talked about before that they might waive that contract because they might need the cap space because at the minute they're paying Sue Bird about five bucks to show up this season. Um, so I don't know how great a fit Gabby Williams is or whether she's worth the price basically is, is my concern. But then we didn't know whether Kaylee Lou was worth the price yeah. last year either. And it turned out to be, yeah, she wasn't good, but what they gave up wasn't great either. So yeah, I, 
I don't mind the gamble if they didn't have anything else to use the cap space on. My sort of out of the box theory for Seattle was to use that cap space to give Courtney Vandersloot an alternative <laughs> option. Um, you know, if because then you you don't sign Brian January, you use that space and this other space that you would have had from not re-signing Jordan Canada, not making the Williams trade. And yeah, you give her somewhere else to go and you, you set up your bird successor a year before she actually retires. Yeah. seems like that wasn't on the table though. If not, I mean, I don't know. I did. I did not. I forgot about Brian January very briefly when I was talking about Gabby Williams. Um, yeah, I guess so. She starts it. I, I do like it though. I mean, she is someone else. She's another person that can get downhill and create shot open shots for, you know, anyone on the perimeter. Um, and I don't think they have, I mean, Jewel, Jewel can get downhill. I don't think that's really her game though. So I think just having someone who can really, because that's the thing that has flashed the most, at least for me, is Gabby Williams' transition. She's been great. Hmm. So if they can get a little bit more transition from her, I think that alleviates some of the problems that they may have had without Jordan Canada um, and, and, you know, just replacing Brienne January with Jordan Canada, you're going to naturally have, you're going to lose some speed. So I do think it makes up for that. I'm with you though. It, it's not quite a home run, but I get why the move was made. I would, I would say, and I want to get your opinion on this, like LA won the trade. I'm assuming you, you think the same especially considering that $70,000 of cat space, which you presume LA have plans for rather than just created it in a vacuum and decided they wanted Katie Lou in the pick. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like I said, th- it, to me, it's a trade of three things for one thing. So, and I don't think Gabby Williams is good enough as the one to be worth the three in general. So I would tend to agree that LA win on that basis. Well, speaking of LA and their cap space and their plans, well, you think that, I mean, this has, I think it has to be in part to get Liz Cambage or at least try to get Liz Cambage, despite her essentially saying on Twitter that she wasn't going to play in the WNBA. That's fine. Um, I don't know how much I want to do that if I'm LA. It's, it obviously has its perils as any deal with Liz Cambage has had over the years. You know, she she brings baggage. Mm -hmm. But I would, if I'm Derek Fisher, I I probably feel like I've got to try something because last year was a, a shambles in LA. And is the possibility that like Tolliver and Chanae and Jasmine Walker are, are more healthy than last year enough of a prospect that you're actually going to get better? No. Because if they, if, if they suck again, isn't Fisher getting fired? I don't... All right, so I was talking to Sabrina Merchant about this on a, on a previous podcast. Um, I mean, he is his own boss. Um, it mean seems like he's, he's the GM as well. Yeah, he's the GM as well, and it seems like the organization is happy with him and certainly has so much history with the Lakers that... You know, there, there's a lot of cachet to make him think that maybe he's not he's not on the hot seat. I think by his performance last year as a GM, he should be on the hot seat. Um, I actually didn't think his G, Derek Fisher, the coach, was terrible. Just the Derek Fisher, the GM, completely hamstrung him. Um, so I think this year, though, it, I, I get it. I get why they would think they need Liz, but I really just think, you know, run out the string here this year. Yeah. 
let these people play. And then next year you have a whole reset. If you don't have, if you don't have some, if you don't have Liz Cambage around, you're not worrying about, is she going to come? Is she going to be probably, you're just worried about rebuilding your team next year rather than having to deal with whatever the circus might be. And it may be no circus. Liz has been drama free at times in her career. Most of the time, not, but so I, I don't know. I think though, if they are going to, if they are going to get Liz, right. They're probably going to have to make, well, no, they have $170, uh, $168,000 as their max bid right now. Yeah. But I think they might have to move off one of these guaranteed contracts by using that pick that they got from Seattle to, to, to move off either, I mean, unless Cheney retires, but it doesn't seem forthcoming, to move off of Tolliver or Amanda Zowie Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like these deals are are dumpable, especially with that that pick. If you if you wanted to, you know, would like we were talking. I was talking about it again on our Slack with one of our other colleagues that you know Zowie B and the pick to Atlanta for basically nothing would presumably be something that the that the dream would take um yeah i like i wrote about the same thing with chicago last year that they were set up for a two-year window Mm -hmm. which has now expired and obviously that worked out well for chicago that they won a title at the end of that window but it kind of got blown up by um candace parker became available in the middle of it and they said well screw this window we've set, Candice Parker's available, we're going to go out and get her and, and that's going to make us immediately better. So if you're LA, again, they're, they're set up for a window that ends at the end of this season in that virtually their entire roster expires at the end of this season and they can then go out in free agency and do whatever the hell they like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in an ideal world, if you happen to suck again this year, maybe you fall into a Lear Boston or something, something like that at the end of the season. And then you've got another building block to work from. Um, Unless you trade up in the draft using your own pick and then you lose that lottery pick, but that's okay. We don't have to rehash that. Sorry. Uh, but do you sort of, do you sort of see Cambage as the Parker in that scenario where, yeah. you know, it's as it is the middle, you do, you sort of think, well, if she's available and this is the time to go and get her is, is now when we go. Um, I could see them doing that. Like I said, I, I, I worry that they think if we bring this group back, we won't be good enough. And this is LA and my job will be in jeopardy. So let's go get her because that will raise our floor more than necessarily raising the ceiling. You, you want to try and make sure that you're not as bad as you were last year. But yeah, standing pat, would be reasonable. Play out the string, see how good this group can be, see if maybe Walker comes back and is good, see if you've got something in Cox or Garantes, maybe use that number nine pick and actually draw someone who you think might be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, possibly. Yeah, I don't think Liz is that piece, though. I'd rather have Candace Parker, which they had, and then they lost. Um, so I, I just don't think Liz is that piece. I don't think she's a player who is going to push you, especially this roster, because they already have a start. Like, their best player is a center. Nakagumika. Yeah, their best players are bigs. I, I agree. She, Cambage is not a great fit. No, and, and I don't – And I, it would be really tough to uh, get her enough touches, I think, to keep her happy and keep everyone happy, right? 
I think it's a very difficult fit and I don't think it's someone, it's someone that's going to push him over the top. It's fancy and flashy. And that seems kind of like a move that LA would make. Um, but I think if, if Derek Fisher doesn't feel pressure that he's going to get fired, I would say this move is extremely unlikely just because I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see how that makes, makes them so much better. And then it adds more to the disaster potential, right? Because if you get list campage and you still suck, then you're definitely getting fired. No matter if your own boss or like that, that's going to push you to getting fired. So to me, I'd be like, I'm not doing that unless, unless it's for, you know, unless you, you can do it pretty easily. Like Shanae says, I'm not playing, although she has said she's playing, or you can get off Amanda Zowie B in an easy fashion or, or, or if Liz is willing to accept this offer that would be around $170,000 for one year. I'd do it for one year, but I don't want to commit to it and then have to, you know, clear our cap space, have to make a ton of moves. And then if we still fail, like now it looks so much worse. And especially for a player who doesn't really, really make a difference now, if you could do it for Courtney Vandersloot, 1000%. If Courtney Vandersloot is in any way available, you make all the calls you need to, to, to James Wade in Chicago to try to figure out a way to get her to LA. Cause then you're, you're setting yourselves up at least for the next couple of years with a player who can really, really change his team's trajectory. But I don't see that from Liz. Yeah, no, that that's all entirely reasonable. Um, it it feels like they're going to do something else. Because, like I said, I I'm not convinced that that trade with Seattle was just because we want to get Katie Lou and we like somebody in the draft that we want to spend that number nine pick on. It it feels like they were creating that seventy thousand, and it it got seventy thousand in cap space and got rid of one of their protected contracts, which went from six to five. They were at the maximum of protected deals you can have in this league. Um, they now have one spot open. So it, it, it feels like they're going to do something else. So, yeah, I, I, I'd be surprised if they stand pat at this point. Still waiting to see Emma Cannon's number. F- furiously <laughs> checking Twitter for this crucial bit of information. Okay, we, we've gone super long. Uh, let's go rapid fire here with the rest of the teams in the WNBA. All right. I'm just going to say the team's name. You give me a take. I'll give you a take. All right. Las Vegas. I like that. They got Wilson for two years rather than just one. Um, interesting that Stokes and Raquana Williams both signed unprotected deals. Makes you wonder if they have plans for the last two protected slots. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Ree Wilson, very interesting that she took the um, the two-year because that kind of, you know, cuts into her earning potential, but she gets the ability in a place that she's happy in. Uh, the, I'd like the Raquana Williams signing as an unprotected deal. Kia Stokes, though, making 11000 more dollars than Tina Charles is, just for, just, just for the record. No, the, no, it's it's one fifteen versus one oh eight, isn't it? Which would make it seven thousand. Uh, seven. I thought it was one oh four, my bad, in my mind. Okay. So she's making she's making more is the entire yes. issue. Yes. In any circumstance, that is not that is not right. But whatever. Good for good for Tina. She doesn't care about her salary. Uh so I like those moves though. Good good for Vegas. They'll be probably near where they were last year, and if not better, depending on how Becky Hammond, how fast Becky Hammond gets up to speed with this roster. Uh Dallas, the only thing they did was sign Enrique Gumboale to 
the extension that you called the the whole boat extension. I call uh, it the full boat. Yes, that that, that 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 is because they gave her every single possible dollar they are allowed to give her. And to me, that is one thousand percent the right move, especially considering this franchise's recent history with their superstars. Get her on board and figure it out. She's one of the hardest players to guard in WNBA. It's a lot of money, though. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money, and they but they don't want to annoy her. They don't want to thinking about going somewhere else. I do think, generally speaking, when we look at these extensions, the the, the new CBA makes extending after your third year of a rookie deal for a good player make some sense Mm -hmm. um, because you can get more than the max in an extension, but you can only go to the max if you let the deal expire to your foot. But then for the team to want to do it in general, I think we may see a little bit below the super max because that's, that's the value to the team. You obviously there's value in having the player under contract and signed to your roster into the future, but there's also the value is getting a slight reduction. So generally speaking, I don't think teams will give every last dollar like Arike got, but she's a star. Yeah. Um, I have seen people concerned about this deal, which is understandable because she signed for like $250,000 in 2025. Yeah. And, and she's not a perfect player. We know she, she can be greedy. She can be inefficient, but, Dallas don't have many building blocks to work with, however young and however interesting they've been on occasion. It's mainly Arike and Sabali. So you've locked one up. I, yeah. I can't blame them for making this deal if Arike wanted to sign it. Give her the contract, let, let her sign it. Yeah, it's an easy, it's an easy decision. Because honestly, if she, if she improves on... She's already a great player. Uh, I'm not sure. She's not probably not in that elite category. She's probably still in that star category, near the top of that star category. But if she fixes a couple things in her offense, we're talking elite, elite, elite player. Um, so yeah, I totally think it's it's the right move, and you don't want you don't want your fans worrying about her leaving. Okay, that's Dallas. Let's move on. Uh, Washington, the they brought back Myesha Hines Allen. They signed Elizabeth Williams for ninety thousand dollars. What are your thoughts? I mean, dirt cheap for Williams compared to mm-hmm. what. Dolson got what Russell got. You're, yeah, that that's that's below market value, and we haven't seen that many deals signed for below market value apart from the obvious Tina Charles. Heinz <laughs> um, Allen, that's a big commitment. It was probably what it was all going to take to get her back because she was going to have that mm-hmm. interest on the market. Someone was going to sign her to that deal if Washington didn't do it themselves. So I totally understand that, but. She was obviously beaten up last year, had some sort of lingering issues. You, you hope you're getting the player that we saw in the bubble in 2020 for that three years. I'm not sure we've seen it consistently enough to be certain you're getting that player for three years. So there's a little yeah. bit, there's a little bit of gamble in there. It's, um, I think it's a fair risk for both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that was what it was going to take to bring her back. If you wanted to the, the little sort of fringe moves they've made and like sort of Kang Lee Sul and things like that are, are interesting to people like me that follow the international game. And, you know, that they haven't announced it yet, but they had that sort of that silhouette <laughs> graphic on yes. Twitter 
and eventually people decided that one of them might well be Rui Machida, the Japanese point guard that we saw in the Olympics. Yeah. So I would love to see that as well, just as a total side note. I think it's Rui Machida. I have not heard, like, I haven't heard anything besides that yet. Uh, that made a lot of sense. And that was only because someone figured it out on Twitter, like you're saying. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it could be someone else. I thought it was going to be a restricted free agent, to be honest, but we, we will see. Um, and I like this team. Hey, look, if it comes back to the same thing we talked about with this team since yes. the 2019 title, if Elena Deladon is healthy, they're going to be awesome. If Elena Deladon's not healthy, they'll be less than awesome. But I, I like the way I said this on the courtside podcast, got more into it there. Like, I like the future of this team. I think they set it up pretty well. I like Atkins, I like Hines Allen. I like getting the number one pick. I and mean, that's, I mean, you say future, they're not, they're not that young anymore. I mean, I guess. You got the number one pick coming in, which kind of helps, but that's the window's kind of now if Deladon's actually healthy rather than sort of oh, yeah. a year or two down the line or anything. You're not, you're trying to win right, right this minute rather than build. Yeah, no, but I think those two, like Atkins is 25. I think Heinz Allen is also 25. So they're, they're young enough to be around on this team for the next five yeah. years. And I think that uh, Deladon window closes either this year, next year. And I don't see it going past that, to be honest. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, that's Washington. Good for them. Minnesota brought back Sylvia Fowles for her final season and uh, signed Angel McCautry. I mean, I I wish uh, Nafisa Collier uh, could play this year, but obviously she will miss part of the season, most of the season, who knows, um, with, uh, by being pregnant. But uh, I like the team. Sure, Angel's cool. Yeah, I wrote about this during the week, as you can find on the website, as ever, that it feels like there's another shoe waiting to drop mm -hmm. in Minnesota in that they have too many players for their roster spots and too little cap space. And they've still got the number eight pick in the draft, I think, to work yes. into this equation as well. And yeah, it feels like there's a trade coming to open up something, whether it's you know, whether it's dumping a Chonwas deal, whether it's giving up on Dangerfield, whether it's giving up on Davis. I, yeah, I think something else is coming, but they're, yeah, they're, they're interesting. The wing, the wing group of Powers, McBride and McCautry is going to be fun to work out. You know, who starts? What's the rotation? Can, can the three of them actually stay healthy for a season? Um, does Bridget Carlton play at all anymore? Um, yeah, it, it, so, but yeah, Fowles deciding she wanted to play one more year. They're, they're going to be, I mean, Reeve teams always work out a way to be at least decent. And this mm. team has the possibility of being very good. And with the hope that Collier, you know, has the baby, recovers, and then comes back late in the year. And that would be a hell of a boost to get, you know, coming into the, the team in August or whenever she actually recovers. Yeah, and Odyssey Sims did it. So, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not impossible. We don't, obviously, we're not involved in the Feast Collier's personal life. So, we don't know yes. what's happening. But, and, and neither of us really knows anything about recovering from pregnancy. Uh, that is not something we know or can find out. But, uh, I, you know, she, at least I, the, the best data point we have is that Odyssey Sims did it. I don't think it's impossible for Nafisa Collier to do it if that's what she wants. The one thing I do really want to see, and I know we all want Maya Moore back, that's not going to happen. Chechi's under the scene. Get her over here. Damn it. Give me one year of Chechi. I wrote a whole story on her. 
before the 2020 season, then like, boom, COVID happens. And then the entire story got demolished. So it never came out. So I'd, I'd like to have her around so we could see her. I mean, I mean, this is like we were talking about with Alamond and Johannes. We, we watch enough international basketball to be excited and intrigued by some of these players. Uh, I mean, the one advantage with Xander Lacidi is she's Italian rather than French or, or Belgian. So she doesn't have the same commitments with her international team because her international team isn't as good as with those players. It's always a good thing with international players if their international team sucks because then they're in fewer tournaments and have fewer fewer games to play. So hopefully, yeah, I agree. I would love to see her back in the league. We'll see if it happens. We'll see if it happens. I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up for that. All right, uh, Atlanta. I think we mentioned Atlanta. Did we mention Atlanta enough? I mean, yeah. I've... <laughs> It, Monique it Billings like... comes back. Sorry, let me, let me tell people. Monique Billings comes back for $140,000. I mean, yeah, yeah, sorry. Monique Billings comes back for $140,000. Nia Coffey comes in for $130,000. Tiffany Hayes comes in for $215,000. It feels like they're kicking the can down the road, doesn't it, more than anything else? Yeah. In that a lot of these players are signing for one year and they're they're maintaining this giant amount of cap space they had coming in until next season. And we're going to be here in 12 months saying, Atlanta have a hell of a lot of cap space. Who are they chasing? I'm sure they, they will be in the market for Brianna Stewart, if it's all possible again as well. And, and anyone else who's a free agent, Necker or Gumake, anyone yeah. that wants to, wants to talk about coming to Atlanta, they will talk to in 12 months because this team is set up to have space again next yeah. year. And they can, uh, they can also, I think, looking at this roster pretty comfortably tank for Aaliyah Boston if they so choose. Exactly, yes. Uh, the uh, So Lindsay Allen is heading back to the fever, another anxiety-inducing contract. I don't know what's happened here. The, uh, the, something happened on Twitter, I don't know. Moving on to our last team that we have to mention. Uh, Connecticut, they bring back John Cole Jones, obviously, uh, for two years at a discount, bringing Courtney Williams. And we've, we've both talked about this a ton. I like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, I. Given that it, they managed to work it out, it yeah, it again, it's something that didn't necessarily look possible because they had very little more than about three hundred thousand dollars to sign John Quell Jones and Courtney Williams without have without making a trade. You thought maybe they'd have to find a home for Brianna Jones or something like that in order to be able to to replace Brian January on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Courtney Williams, because of, partly because of everything that happened in Atlanta, was available, was unrestricted, wanted to come back. Apparently, the players wanted her back. And they worked it out. They got her at a discount. They got Jones at a discount both for this year and next year. So, yeah, great. Good, good for them. And I think they're really going for it this year. Um, and that makes everything more fun. But, you know, I want to see them get over the hump eventually. I think, I think Courtney's going to actually help in that regard. Um, maybe more so than other people. All right, we've officially gone through all 12 teams. It only took us an hour and a half, um, which to me was a little surprising, to be honest. We'll be splitting this podcast up into two parts on YouTube. You're getting the whole kit and caboodle on the audio version. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at HerHoopStats. Uh, subscribe to HerHoopStats.substack.com to get all of Richard's work. Do you have anything in, do you have anything in mind for next week? Uh, I'm sure I'll be rounding up 
no. more of free agency, having done it once this week. I mean, that was before the trades and before Tina Charles and everything else. So the next part will probably have that stuff in it. Yeah, and hopefully we can also, I don't know, maybe do some grades or something. And obviously um, a massive paragraph about how, how much Emma Cannon has signed for. I'm really, really anxious for this. And it still hasn't come out yet, which makes me think it's not like it. Uh, yeah, and then also make sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Gabe underscore Ibrahim. Richard's at Richard Cohen one. Yep. Uh, and you'll find a ton of salary news. And yeah, we'll be back next week talking about specific teams. I don't even know. We'll see. Maybe some crazy stuff happens and we're going to end the emergency podcast. But for Richard, I'm Gabe Ibrahim. Thanks for joining us on the Her Hoop Stats Podcast Network and have a lovely day. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.